You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 71, and you can find it on page 484 of the Black Pew Bibles. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stand for our gospel reading. 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. You, Lord Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is T, and I serve as the uh, college minister uh, for CCO at the University of Richmond. And I'm grateful to uh, look at God's word with you this morning. We uh, have been going through the Psalms this summer and the summer before that, the summer before that, since the beginning of Redeemer. And so I'm grateful to share God's Word with you from Psalm 71. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord, my rock, my Redeemer, I pray that you would bless these words in Christ's name. Amen. So I recently returned from a vacation during which I read the novel by Michael O'Brien called Strangers and Sojourners, and it's a book that journeys through the lives of several characters in a small town in the Canadian wilderness during the early 20th century. And the main character is this woman named Anne. And Anne, we learn, has come from England across the pond from a very refined and intellectual background, and she takes this giant leap of faith in this culture shock and travels to this small town. And along the way, we learn through her story that she marries this quiet Catholic man and for a lifetime, as we read, wrestles over whether she can come to believe in his God. And there's a whole lot more I could say about the contents of the book, but I really don't want to spoil it because it's great, so you should read it. Uh, So instead, I actually want to mention the way the book is written, the way the book is written. The novel does not linger on particular parts of Anne's life. Instead, the author seems to push her timeline, skipping years in advance. But when the narrative slows down and we have particular moments of her life, uh, you know, illustrated, the author lingers on her personal transformation Deeply. The, book move, the book moves both quickly and deeply. And as I read, I was sort of realizing that, in a way, Anne was 
strangely aware of this literary device. Considering the span of her life and the speed the book covers it, she's often portrayed in certain moments reflecting on how she's changed, is changing, and could change, particularly during these moments of, of depth. She reflects on what has been, what is, and what will be. I never read a book or a novel quite like this, using this paradox, a narrative that moved quickly and read deeply. But what struck me is how the main character, Anne, lived within her own story, how she lived within her own story. And it was so different, I think so jarring to me, because very little do I, perhaps we, reflect on what has been, what is, and what will be. It must have been you know, 99% of the time in life, I'm simply trying to make sense of what is, what is going on around me. And perhaps you are too. What is going on at work? Why is my boss asking so much of me? What is happening with my kids? Why are they acting up so much? What is going on in my head right now? Why am I so anxious? What is? The present stage of our lives takes up most of our attention. And similarly, in the story of Scripture, we see men and women of the Bible also trying to make sense of their own story. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve to begin the story of humanity, but very quickly they forget what has been. They forget they were created by God. They forget they were called to obey Him, and instead they are tempted by what is right in front of them, an opportunity to be like God. And so what did they do? They become ignorant of their own story, where they have been. So later on, as God is seeking to restore humanity's relationship with him, he chooses a group of people, as we know, called the Israelites, right? Who are freed from Egypt and journey in the wilderness. And God, remembering the same sins of Adam and Eve, commands them to remember his faithfulness, to remember their story of deliverance, from slavery, to remember what has been. But as the story continues, the people of Israel lose this habit of remembrance, calling to mind what has been, and instead, like us, become enamored with what is, the enemies surrounding them, the opportunities for greed and for power, and so on. So not only did God call them to remember, but he called them to anticipate, anticipate a time when they would be saved again. Throughout the story of Scripture, throughout the Bible, God is calling all people to inhabit their own story, to embody, like Anne, what it means to reflect on what has been, what is, and what will be. And though we, like humanity, throughout the Bible, struggle to inhabit our own stories, we are fortunate to come to our text this morning in Psalm 71, because I think it's a written example of how to reflect on what has been, what is, and what will be. Psalm 71 helps us to better inhabit our own story. And hopefully, if this is true, if this psalm truly helps us to do this, then we can, I think, together leave this place remembering God's faithfulness together. So how are we going to do this through Psalm 71? If you will, be so courageous as to open up your Bibles. Um, we're going to look through the text and consider how the author inhabits his own story in prayer, how he reflects on first what has been, second what is, and then third what will be. So first, what has been. In these 
first few verses of the psalm, we discover that he has had a relationship with the Lord. He says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. First, as we begin to reflect on our own story, we must begin with the recognition that our stories are not disconnected from God's story. We must humbly realize that God has been at work in the world far before we existed in creation and through those who came before us. Our existence, this is crazy, is not the beginning of God's existence. Yet our existence, our story, is graciously woven into the story he has written for the whole world. Our story has not been disconnected from God's story. The psalmist goes on to say, Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me. And remembering that his story and God's story are connected, he's able to see that God's work in his life has been happening for some time now. God has been a faithful source of life. So I wonder, how has God been a faithful source of life in your story? When you have felt weak, how has God revived you? When you have been in need, how has God provided for you? Or when you have sinned and felt guilt, how has God forgiven you? In the next few verses, he begins to recall the beginning of his own story. You, O Lord, are my hope from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. And this, of course, reminds us of Psalm 139, which we'll get to soon, right? In the summer of 2028. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, on vacation, which Tori and I just returned from, I had a, uh, a theological exchange about baptism with my father-in-law, as we do. Uh, and he began to question the ability of an adult who's been baptized as an infant to remember their baptism. To which I responded, but what's a memory? What's a memory? To which he responded with a scoff and rolled eyes, which I deserved. But the spirit of my question was this. Is a memory something we must be conscious of, or, it, or can it be something we simply know to be true whether we comprehend it or not? We may not be able to consciously remember how we were formed in our mother's womb or even how we were taught in Sunday school, but we can still say that God has been at work in our lives from the very beginning. Kids, I know there are more of you in the first service, but to kids, you may not remember this sermon right now as you color in the pews, but you will remember, hopefully, someday that God has been at work through your parents, bringing you to church here Sunday after Sunday. In verses 1 through 6, the psalmist teaches us to inhabit our own story by reflecting on what has been. Our stories have been connected to God's story. He has been a source of life, and he has been at work from the beginning. So the psalmist teaches us to inhabit our own story by reflecting on what has been. But what about what is? Reflecting on the present, what's in front of us. In verse 9, we learn what is true of this person's current state. He says, they are old and their strength is spent. And I would say, relatively speaking, most of us are not old, um, when considering the type of church we are by age, I would not say Redeemer is an old church. But nonetheless, some of you are old, if it's okay to say that. Um, 
and likely know better than most of us what it means for your strength to be spent. Our bodies are not destined to get stronger and stronger over the course of life. They are destined to decay. But this tiredness, this weakness, is not only experienced by the aged. Your strength may be spent as a parent of a young child struggling to sleep at night. Your strength may be spent as a person still looking for a new job. Your strength may be spent as a husband or a wife waiting to receive love and affection from your spouse. What is is that many of us are tired. Our strength is spent. In verses 10 and 11, the psalmist offers more context for this weariness. He is being mocked and ridiculed. Some of you may know what this is like, but I'd venture to say that most of us do not experience this public humiliation. I'm speaking to a well-liked, respectable group of people, not folks who are necessarily surrounded by a bunch of accusers. And imagine many of you suffer from instead what I'd like to call mocking silence. Instead of public enemies, in the midst of our weariness, we may very well mistake silence as a sort of mocking, the private enemies of our thoughts saying to us, you've been forsaken. Just as the enemies of the psalmist say, God has forsaken him. And this is when our thoughts begin to grow bitter in the present towards others and God. Where is the encouraging friend? Where is my supportive spouse? Where is my answer to prayer? Where is the support and care I need from the church? Where is God? What is, is that many of us feel forsaken. And gosh, what is can begin to dictate every thought, feeling, and action in our lives. And I know I'm tempted to camp out in this really just small section of the psalm, right? To inhabit my own story by only doing so through the present. To think my life is just destined to feel tired and forsaken, which can lead to a great feeling of despair, a feeling that the psalmist is aware of in the beginning when he exclaims, let me never be put to shame. And considering how our story, and considering our story only through the present, only through what is, it can become very easy to slip into despair and be put to shame. But, as the psalmist says, to inhabit our own story, we must not only reflect on what has been, on what is, but also what will be. Also what will be. Because the antidote to despair is hope. The antidote to desperation is anticipation. The antidote to feeling forsaken is focusing on the future. The antidote to shame is salvation. But that salvation is often far greater than we can ask or imagine. The psalmist was prophesying with hope, not only for his own deliverance, but also for all of humanity's deliverance. He insists he will proclaim the Lord's might to the next generation and his power to all those who come, all those to come. But how? How can one man, this psalmist, do this? How will all hear of the Lord's might? The clue is in verse 19. He exclaims, your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. O God, who is like you? How will the Lord's righteousness ultimately reach the high heavens? Who is like God? Who is like God? 
Generations later, Jesus became like God, but in the form of man, to save those who were put to shame, to offer a future to those who felt forsaken, to give hope to all those in despair. Who is like God? Who is like God? Jesus is like God. And came to embody the Lord's might to all generations, to all people. Through his death, he became our righteousness. Through his resurrection, he defeated death and decay. And through his ascension, he reached back to the high heavens where he now dwells with the Father and the Spirit, three in one. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, finally, we must not forget that just as the psalmist anticipated and hoped for a future in his time when all the generations of the world could be saved, we must also consider what will be. Christ will come again. Just as righteousness reached the high heavens, so will righteousness reach back down to earth once again. And from the depths of the earth, he says, he will bring us up again. Friends, to truly inhabit our own story, we must reflect on the beginning, the present, and the end. We've been made by God, we've been saved by God, and we will be raised with God. Our stories are woven into his story. In the midst of our hyper-focus on what is the present in front of us, can we instead learn to zoom out and consider all that God has done, is doing, and will do one day? Can we, like the psalmist, name the weariness of our bodies and our temptation to despair, but still praise him for his ultimate faithfulness? Can we hold those two things in tension? Can we learn to inhabit our own story? Can we learn to inhabit our own story? If so, how can we do this? First, if our story is truly woven into God's story, the story of the Bible, then we can begin to inhabit our story through our liturgy in the Nicene Creed. Each week when we worship, we practice what it means to reflect on what has been, what is, and what will be. We recite the creed not as some old ritual, but as a reviving tool to learn to inhabit our stories more holistically, becoming aware of the creation, redemption, and restoration of our bodies and lives as God's children. Second, as the author of the psalm plans to join the children's ministry, we can too. He plans to proclaim the Lord's might to the next generation, so maybe we can plan to do the same. We can tell the story of God's faithfulness and in doing so, teach our children to inhabit their story within God's greater story. But this can happen not just for our children. It can happen for middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, and our neighbors. We can proclaim the Lord's might to the next generation, whoever we are. So I'm not done with this book yet. Kindle tells me I'm about 85% done. But in a way, I have inhabited the story of Anne, the main character, and I'm anticipating that she will come to believe in God. And I'm hopeful that what will be at her life's end will be final redemption and restoration. That she might look back in the present and towards the future with great adoration for God's faithfulness in her life and in the world. And drawing from this fictional story, my hope is that we would all do the same that we would learn to inhabit our own story by reflecting on what has been, what is, and what will be. And with great adoration for God's faithfulness 
in our lives and in the world. Praise him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.